0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Women in Weightlifting podcast. We're joined tonight by Laura Caggiano, who is, in addition to being a top-level athlete in USAW, is also a PhD in biomedical engineering. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, um, Laura, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Usually we start
0: by talking about people's weightlifting lives, but I, I wanted to, as we focus in season three on the doctors in USAW, I, I want to talk first about kind of your academic path and then what you're doing professionally now. So we'll, we'll just start by how did you get where you are at where, like professionally?
1: Um, so I started with my bachelor's at Ohio State university, um, which I also got in biomedical engineering. And then um, my I did a like an honors thesis in during my bachelor's degree. And the uh, faculty member who was in charge of that, who was kind of overseeing me told me to kind of look into potentially going into an academic career because he thought that I would be pretty good for it. Um, and so that's kind of when I started looking for potential doctorate um, advisors, because you don't really look for a school necessarily. You look for um, a faculty member who matches your interests and who you think would be a good mentor for the whole time that you're there. And um, pretty quickly found um, Jeff Holmes at University of Virginia, who was working on um, cardiac biomechanics, which was an interesting like marriage of the two things I had spent most of my time studying in undergrad, which is biomechanics of the lungs, and then I also was in a heart research lab um, learning how to do like animal surgeries and things like that. So um, I found him and um, we hit it off, and he accepted me as a grad student pretty quickly um, and just immediately went straight into grad school from undergrad and then finished my um, PhD in December of 2020. (laughs) Um, So I defended over Zoom which was a little sad and anticlimactic, but um, you know say, I finished.
0: That's got to be a sad moment. You're like, I've spent a lot of time on this dissertation. I'm yeah. In front of the committee.
1: <laughs> I mean, it was. I was more excited for like the snacks and the post, the post-defense meal that usually everybody gets, because you know I've attended everyone else's you Know and over the course of my time there, you're you know encouraged to go to other people's defenses, um, and you make food for them and stuff, and it's a big celebration. But for me, it was just like I was alone in my apartment with my cat, uh, and I went and got sushi. Afterwards. What a shame! So, <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. My, I mean, Jeff knows that he owes me a post defense dinner still, so whenever I see him, um, that's I'm sure I'll see him at a conference or something, he has to buy me dinner. So, yeah. um, you see yeah. Irvine now, is that? correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got recruited to be a lab manager slash research scientist. So I'm doing kind of the work of like a typical research scientist or like a postdoctoral fellow. Um, And then on top of that, I'm like managing the lab, which is an interesting job because we just, the lab just moved from Wisconsin to UC Irvine. So I'm I'm kind of coming in now that the lab is at UC Irvine and I'm overseeing, like setting up the whole lab, um, which has been pretty cool to see. I've never really been a part of that process. So I've uh, to, I get to buy a lot of expensive equipment with not my money. So that's fun. Um, what, what, and, what, are
0: you, what are you guys researching?
1: Yeah. Um, we, so we research my lab specifically is um, like cardiopulmonary Biomechanics. Um, a lot of the projects that I'm on involve the sex differences in um, the response to pulmonary hypertension and why women tend to do better overall um, in terms of outcomes. And, you know, women have higher statistics in terms of incidence of pulmonary hypertension and um, things like that, but they tend to survive it longer or just in general um, as opposed to men. Um, and there are a lot of really interesting physiological implications for why um, that's true, but no one's really no one's really dove into it all that much um, because there's just been a real lack of study, studies in general about differences um, between males and females in, in every scientific topic, but especially this one, and this is a big one because. Um, you know, pulmonary hypertension is a huge problem, like worldwide, but especially in the U.S. And um, so, so we're uh, just trying to figure out why.
0: So for the lay people, pulmonary hypertension is just high blood pressure, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Talk to do a couple of lawyers. I mean, we're, we're not the sharpest <laughs> knives in the drawer.
2: Hey, speak for yourself. I'm
0: just <laughs> no, I mean, so super interesting. So what did you do your dissertation on?
2: My dissertation
1: was more focused on um, like the scar that forms after a heart attack. Um, This was the study I did was completely in male rats. So this wasn't anything sex differences related. Um, But it was essentially like I the the whole point of my doctorate was proving that mechanics play a huge role in how that scar forms and that there is some kind of Um, like there may or may not be a way to not necessarily stop that scar from forming because you need it um, to reinforce the muscle in your heart that died. Otherwise you would just end up with a huge hole in your heart, but like there are potentially ways to optimize that scar to be more beneficial for your long-term function and make sure that, or at least try to improve patient outcomes after they've already had their heart attack. Um, And um, it was, it was a really interesting, a really complicated um, study that took like the experiments themselves took like three years to do. And then analyzing all of that data took another three years.
0: Do you have to like just trigger heart attacks in rats until, until you get like the data that you want? Is that kind of what you're doing?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, we do have to use a lot of rats. Um, I mean, like the alternative would be to do this on people. So that's that's brown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a little that's kind of not allowed. But um, yeah, we I go in and um, I open like I go in through their like rib space and I just tie off the um, coronary artery. Like the main coronary artery to the, the left ventricle which pumps blood to the whole body and um that just induces the heart attack and then it's them back up and um they usually do pretty well because they're rats and they can survive pretty much anything but um then after that we would do our studies that like the different time points that we wanted to look at um that were relevant for the for the um like the case that we were studying so
0: and then you're trying to yeah. control kind of how the, how the recovery happens so you can maximize. Mm-hmm. The idea.
1: It was actually really, um, we, so we had to figure out a way to manipulate the mechanics of the heart, which is a really mechanically complicated organ because it's always under load and it's always moving. Um, right. so we, we ended up just like tying, <laughs> this is the really hard part. It was like, we tied a, um, a Dacron patch, which is a really stiff material. Um, over the site of the infarction to kind of stop it from moving in one direction and allow it to move in the other. So like in that way, we're manipulating the biomechanics in a a kind of simple way. Like we're just stopping the movement in one direction um, and seeing what happens to like the collagen and everything that um, starts to get deposited over the healing process. Um, And so actually what we found was like the collagen will actually orient itself in the way that, that it's feeling the most strain so um, a pretty simple, like, <laughs> pretty simple answer to, it, but it took a lot of um, really complicated experiments to get, uh, because just figuring out how to even do that or prove that we were actually changing the mechanics in the first place um, was was very difficult. So,
0: so um, do you think that'll actually translate into like something recuperative for humans or no?
1: Um, I think it it uncovered a lot of interesting things that will need to be considered because there are a lot of ongoing like therapeutics that are being studied and going through clinical trials that um, do kind of do a little bit of this or at least people are there are a lot of groups that have um, like therapeutic patches um, some kind some have like reinforcement like meshes that they put on um, that are being tested and like are in the clinical trial process now but none of them really looked at what the effect of changing those mechanics would be like they're all trying to treat something else like whether or not it's like a lot of these have like um they'll have some sort of scaffold with cells that are stem cells that are supposed to go in and like infiltrate and help heal the cardiac muscle but none of them are like considering the implications of the um the biomechanical changes you inflict by putting a humongous thing on top of the heart and stopping it from moving in the way that it's supposed to um because what we actually found was that when you do that you're you cause the wall of the heart to thin like a lot like a lot a lot to the point where you wouldn't ever want to take it off because as soon as you do it would just rupture like there's no way you could live after that so I think, really? I think like there wasn't that wasn't the question we were asking, but it was a really concerning outcome that we found that I yeah. um, made sure to put in all the papers and you know all the presentations that I gave about it because I just Think it's really important to consider um yeah, that, that would so. be
0: a definite bad outcome be like yeah if you yeah if you yeah got the walls then it just ruptures the next time you take it off
1: right yeah so it would have to be something permanent or it would just you'd really have to consider what you're doing to that muscle when you put something on it that's not supposed to be there so
2: wow wow
0: yeah so are you with the position you're at at uc irvine are you uh, in, in academia too or are you only I mean, are you only researching?
1: I am both. Yeah, it's an academic position. Um, so my boss, Naomi Chesler, is um, the director of the Center for Cardiac Research here, which is a fairly new. Um, it's a fairly new center, and we're trying to grow it a lot. And so she, like the umbrella of the center, kind of covers a whole bunch of different faculty, um, and I am essentially helping her grow it, but also at the same time helping manage her lab. Um, so, but it's all academic, like there isn't, well, actually that's not true. We do have some like some contracts kind of in the works with, um, with companies like startups outside of UCI that I can't really talk about, but um, those are, yeah, those are, um, I guess what can be considered industry. We do work a lot with Edwards, um, but it's, everything I do is considered like the academic side.
0: What is super cool? Jess, I'm, I'm sorry. I've just been completely dominated the questioning. So if you have any...
2: No, that's okay. I'm just listening <laughs> intently. about <Wow>, heart's exploding.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I just find, I, you know, I find it super fascinating. And then which kind of, is there anything else you want to add about like what interesting things you're doing academically before we get into the kind of the weightlifting side of the world?
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, anyone could Google my name if you want to go <laughs> read my my publications on it um but you know there's not a whole lot of interesting super interesting stuff going on from day to day
0: so laura i, I will i will disclose that um i have attempted to read some of those and um <laughs> yeah they're not, they're not exactly uh, literature that we're reading here i mean <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i'm also happy to answer questions like i love i love talking about my research so people can People can always reach out to me about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think I, I would be interested to see kind of how this research on the hypertension stuff develops um, mm-hmm. as, you know, because it's just a super common problem. And like, Yeah. You know, I yeah. Interesting how it works out. So, I mean, do you, yeah. think, do you think you'll stay in academia or are you going to go into industry or?
1: Um, like, it's kind of, um, it kind of goes hand in hand with weightlifting a little bit because academia has, more flexible hours, which is something I really like because weightlifting takes up a lot of my time. And if I had a set, you know, nine to five, I would probably, it would probably be a lot harder for me to get all my training sessions in. Whereas um, Naomi, my boss is extremely um, supportive of my weightlifting career. And she's, you know, completely fine. If we, if we're out, like, you know, we went to Minnesota a few, um, or sorry, Wisconsin, a few like back in October and we had a few different like uh, meetings with potential collaborators and I had to skip out on one because I needed to go train and she was like oh yeah like whatever go do that but I feel like if it had been like an industry job that probably wouldn't have even been something I should have would have brought up Um, but you know the industry jobs do pay really well so maybe like in a in 10 years like I might have a different answer for you but um, yeah right now it's definitely academia
2: yeah
0: so I, you may, I mean, we'll kind of transition in and talk about weightlifting because one of the immediate things that came to my mind is, I mean, how did you find time to train at the level you do when you're, you know, working on a, a on a doctorate in, in STEM? I mean, it's not, a, it's not an easy, not an easy PhD.
1: <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean. I make time it's kind of just always become, well, once I got really serious about it, it became a thing that it wasn't really, um, a question of whether or not I was going to train. It was like, it has to work into my schedule somehow. And like, I'm going to make that work no matter what. Um, and you know, sometimes that meant that I, didn't get as much sleep as I wanted, or sometimes it meant that I didn't get to go hang out with the people I wanted to, um, you know, on a Friday night. Like if I had an early experiment to go do on Friday morning, and then I had to spend all day at the lab, and like the only time I had to train was Friday night, and like, oh well, that's that's what I got to do. So um, you know, it's it's more a matter of just making it a priority than it is about like finding time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh. To fit everything into twenty-four hour period.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> it's yeah. tough some days. <laughs> I, I know i mean you started competing like a year ago um, right and you're already sitting at a 180 total and i know we, we had talked um after the american open um that you know you put like 13 kilos on your your total over the course <laughs> of like yeah um, so what what got you started and what, where what's got you started in weightlifting where did you come from
1: Um, it's kind of, I don't know. I was, so I was, I used to just lift. So I'm an ex-gymnast. So I've always had like some kind of physical activity in my life and gymnastics is a really physically taxing sport. So like not having that, like something like some kind of physical outlet was, is like hard for me. So I was always trying to like be at the gym, but for a while it was just, I just wanted to lift to like stay in shape. Um, and then I kind of went through a period in my life where I had like a a lot of really bad things just kind of happen all at once. It was just like a really bad year. And I wanted to like do something like entirely for myself, just like start a new, a new thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to describe it. I just wanted, I knew that I was like really interested in lifting weights, um, but I had never really like taken the initiative to like try and be serious or do anything about it or learn what like what kind of programming I was supposed to do. So I just kind of like at the start of that new year, I like decided that I was going to try something new. And I went to a CrossFit gym, um, Solidarity CrossFit in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I did a few CrossFit classes. I didn't really like it, but like really quickly got um, pulled into the barbell class and basically just started only going to the barbell class, which was like three days a week. Um, It was a really short, like pretty simple programming um, but it, it got me like interested, and um, eventually, like after me being there for about, I want to say like six or seven months, the owner came up to me and was like, "You need a a coach, like you need a real coach." <laughs> so he um, recommended Mike Service to me, who is I think his um, his friend, just a personal friend, but also a very good coach. Um, and like at the end of twenty the very end of 2019 is when we like started working together um and then I I didn't really I was like afraid to compete I think Mike wanted me to compete pretty much right away but then I didn't because COVID happened so I kind of got out of that (laughs) um pretty easily but so like most of 2020 was spent like well like when the gyms were open was spent just like building a foundation and learning the movements in general um and I just I was like I was hooked instantly like I, I loved the sport because it was a really dynamic um a really dynamic like movement that you can't really find in other strength sports and I but I really liked the the whole concept of like you're completely relying on yourself like it's you versus you, and everything is about like trying to beat your own previous personal best. And like I'm really competitive with myself, so that just like it just really appealed to me in every way. Um, and so I just got hooked on it really fast. And then in 2021, so January was my first, my first meet. So yeah, and that was that was the start.
0: <laughs> I can actually find it again. I had, I, I had it up a minute ago. Um,
2: Mark saw all the stats. That,
0: that is that is part of my job yeah so i mean actually your first meet you didn't know so you, a, <laughs> know. well done where are
1: you <laughs> i was so nervous like my legs just stopped working i don't even know how to explain it i couldn't stand up 90 kilos like well i did on the last attempt and then i still got a red light for um pressing out the jerk. So I was like, I was so nervous. I don't even remember like what happened.
2: Black out.
1: Yeah. I was like, well at least you know it can get worse. Like it can only come.
2: <laughs> so cool. I also
1: I actually like I was pretty annoyed about it. And then I also, I think like Maddie Rogers posted something on her Instagram story, like a few days later about how she bombed out at her first ever meet. And I was like, well, okay, like that makes me feel a little bit better. Um, so, you know, that made me kind of feel like, okay, like I can try again. It's fine. Like other people have done this and then gone on to have really successful weightlifting <laughs> careers. It's so, not necessarily
0: yeah. indicative of how your career is going to go
2: right it's (laughs) just a bad day I've bombed out so many meats so (laughs) yeah yeah I'm sure it'll
1: happen again but at least it's like I got that one out of the way and don't have to you know the world didn't end I was fine yeah and everyone there was really supportive they didn't like no one was like oh my god you suck like it was everyone was really nice about it so Mm -hmm. um yeah. I feel like but it I, comes with
2: the territory and it makes it easier to approach the next meet because you're not so scared about it because it's already happened.
1: Yeah, it's like, what could you go wrong? Like, what it can't get worse? So, yeah, Um, but it, it kind of gave me, like, a sense of feeling like I needed to, I had something to prove after that, um, and then I also had, like, qualifying for AO finals and nationals in the back of my head. whole time like I really wanted to at least qualify for finals and then the total for nationals was like six kilos heavier and I was like well okay I think I can do that but like at the very least I'd like to qualify for finals so that was kind of how we picked our um our openers and stuff and um did my second meet in April at um East Coast Gold weightlifting and because they have like a spring meet and it went much better it was actually um really nice because I met um, I met Dylan Cooper um, and I also met um, Jake Herbert from, he works with Crystal at Bell Tour Barbell and they actually stepped in to help me during that meet because the computers like went down and so no one, like I didn't know how to read cards and I also didn't have my, with, Mike wasn't there with me, he was in um, Greece and so like they kind of just like stepped in as my coaches and helped me count attempts, helped me load the bar um, and uh, like, I think they are like the only reason I was successful at that meet because I just had no idea what I was doing, but it actually like also really showed me like how much of a, a community weightlifting really is and how everyone's just always there for each other and like ask zero questions and like nobody ever really judges you. They just want you to succeed. So I was like, that was really nice <laughs> to see. That's yeah, awesome. I
0: mean, you know, we find that even even at like the highest levels, most of the athletes are super supportive of each other
1: yeah it was like they just saw an athlete in need and they were like okay like we're gonna help you right. <laughs> it was
2: fine what do we need to do
1: yeah, yeah
0: so I mean, you qualify for nationals and then yes we, <laughs> you killed it at the american open finals and you uh, just to clarify you're a 59 um yes i mean i know that but our, the listeners don't necessarily know that because we're not interviewing as part of interviewing you as part of one of the weight classes that we're that we normally talk about um so yeah, I mean a one eighty total as a fifty nine is is certainly you know pretty respectable. What what are your what are your bests right now?
1: That's actually my best training total. <laughs> so I I had that like I hit that training total like two weeks before finals, um, and I've I've actually separately did I snatched eighty four um, about a week before that, um, but like eighty one hundred was the best training total I put together. Um, like, in one session leading up to AO Finals. Um, and I think I, if I, like, I think I have due for a clean and jerk PR, like, for sure. Um, I just haven't really pushed beyond 100 because that was just a number that I really wanted to hit at AO Finals that I had in my head, and I just, like, went out and did it. I just, that was, like, you know, now that it's done, I can focus on, you know, getting up into higher, like, Maybe pushing towards one ten. Um, yeah, the the,
0: the hundred kilo benchmark is always just nice, right?
1: Yeah, it was like you know, it's it gets easier every time I do it, and I'm just like, okay, like this number seems so unattainable. Like a year ago, I remember like front squatting it and being like, how do people how do people clean and jerk this? And then you know, like less than a year later, I did
2: it. So you know. That if number will just confidence. get heavier too. Like now, <laughs> one hundred and five. That yeah. will piss you off, and then it'll be one hundred and ten that you're attempting, and it'll feel like, how do I do this? Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, if you get up to where you're like ninety-one ten, I mean, those are the big magic numbers.
1: Those are, yep, those are my goals. <laughs> that's this what is, I. the two hundred
0: yeah. kilo total, man. That's the, that's the, the, the holy grail for. Fifty nines. So Jess, I'll let you kind of talk about training and diet and things like that.
2: Yeah. So what does your training schedule look like? I know you said you can kind of like you're flexible and stuff, but how long are you spending in the gym? How many days a week do you get to train? What's your training regimen look like?
1: Right. So, um, I actually just recently switched from programming with Mike service to SoCal weightlifting. I joined their team Um, So my programming has changed a lot and the amount of time I spend in the gym has changed a little bit. Um, So now I spend probably two to three hours in the gym, but we're also only doing um, like GPP, kind of like a lot of bro stuff, a little less weightlifting right now. Um, I think as we get more into like specifics with the Olympic lifts, I'll probably be spending more like three to three and a half hours in the gym um and the team trains um at about we started about nine nine thirty like the early birds get there at nine and start warming up um and you know be done um by early afternoon like headed to work um and i do that five days a week uh like so i I take rest days on thursday and saturday and, and sunday um, but Chris, the, um, head coach at, or the owner and head coach at SoCal is, um, has been known to give people like two days or, you know, take it further than that. So, you know, that might change, but that's what I do right now as I'm getting used to the team and their programming and, um, seeing how I respond to everything that they give us. Yeah. I
2: just so joined okay. a new team too. So I'm yeah first week just getting used to the programming again so mm-hmm. and it's quite different
0: i always like to talk about mindset it's like one of my favorite things to talk about um so tell me about how you get ready for you know your opening snatch um you know as you start progressing and now you're you know looking at opening into the a session How are how are you getting yourself ready to go out and take that opening lift
1: um So this is something I've really had to focus on with myself and just kind of reflect on after every meet, um, because that's probably the biggest thing for me is, is like nerves and mindset. And that's like what makes the difference for me between a made lift and a not made lift. Um, And like just telling, I've realized that like telling myself that I am fully capable of the lifts I'm about to go take is a huge game changer for me just understanding that I've taken this lift in training a million times I've made it look beautiful a million times there's no reason why I would miss it other than me getting in my own way um and that for me like that was one of the things I really focused on at finals and it made a huge difference for me and like how I approached my openers and um just like how I moved in general like I wasn't trying to like make the lift I wasn't worried about being careful with the lift I was just going out there and executing the lift the exact same way I would do in training like every day um, I also like realized that having kind of a pre-lift ritual and doing it the same exact way every time is really important um, which I, I didn't do that at nationals and it like it messed with me a little bit like i rushed and i kind of like was worried about the time even though i like never should have been worried about the time i had like 45 seconds left when i took the lip um, but it was like uh you know like just going out there and doing like the same little like like the way i set up with the bar and the way i get my back tight and the things that i'm thinking about and like so walk just, me through all that. the same i, I, I
0: when when, I, when we're announcing the session i want to see this happening in real time So what (laughs) do you going up and approaching a bar?
1: So um, like the first thing I do is just find my like the spot on the wall that I want to look at because there's always like something that I'm spotting, whether it's like a little piece of dirt or like, (laughs) you know, just a little anything on the wall. (laughs) Um, I just make sure that I have that and I make sure that the bar is like where I want it to be and I center it if it's not, there's always like a spot on the platform that's like a little weird, like there's always a little bump in it. so I like make sure my feet aren't on top of that. Um, And then I like find my my spot on the barbell. Um, So I just put my middle fingers on the rings and I make sure that they're there and I make sure my hook grip is like, I dig my hands like into the bar as hard as I can and like get my hook grip and then like tighten up my back and then, after that, it's like, stop thinking. like that's what that's kind of what I think to myself is just like one, two, three go. like get your get your start position and go, like don't think about it anymore. Um, so after after I like set my back, I kind of stop like my mind just kind of stops thinking, <laughs> and I kind of just go. Um, and that's been the the easiest way for me to not. Like if I'm if I'm thinking about my setup, and then I forced myself to stop thinking. Like I'm not sitting there worrying about the number on the bar, or like the last time that I took that weight, and maybe the fact that it felt a little bit funky, or I had like a weird press out. Like I'm not thinking about any of that. It's just like one, two, three, lift. Like it's it's really simple and easy.
0: <laughs> so. That's great. I mean, it's actually a a, a beautiful mindset to go into.
1: So. Yeah, it's it's helped a lot. So
0: tell me about your, what do you like in the back room?
1: Um, so that's also been a learning process since I've like been at two national meets now at nationals. Um, I was at a platform where everybody was coming in and out like right in front of me from the, they were coming on from the platform like out there. Sure, yeah. um, so So I was like had people like constantly walking in front of me to get to the table to get to the platform. And I was like, okay, I don't like this. So at finals, I found a very back corner platform, and everyone was like, "Don't you want to be closer to the like to the table to where you need to be to take your attempts?" So I was like, no, if like it's fine. I'm gonna be way back here away from everyone else. Um, so I liked that. I also really just like having people there who are like a really good energy. Um, like uh, I had a couple of people from SoCal were back there, um, like Cesar Flores was back there um, filming, he does all the social media for SoCal, of course he like wanted to take pictures of me too and stuff, and he was back there just like giving me pep talks, hyping me up, um, Jake Herbert was also there helping me load again, um, and he like just was just being super goofy, like really kind of kept my mind off of the fact that I was about to compete, which was nice, like I didn't get too in my head about it, because he was distracting me just like, saying really dumb things and being funny like he normally is Um, and um, I think Kirk Jennings was also there Um, and then I think Crystal was Crystal from Bellator Barbell um, who's formerly with Mash Elite Um, she was actually the one who stepped in to coach me because Mike wasn't able to um, be there so she, she was like just also like really amazing at, you know, counting and making sure like the attempts that I were, was taking were exactly on, on time. We didn't have a single problem with like, you know, I wasn't rushed. I didn't feel like I was going to like, you know, have to take an attempt and like run out onto the platform really fast to go um, to go lift. So that's really helpful. Um, and just like just the general vibe is just being like really light and not too, too serious is I think what I like because that's what we had at AO Finals. And that's like, I feel like I thrived a lot more um, than at Nationals, where I was like, felt like people were just in my way and everyone was being really serious. And, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not it's not that serious.
0: <laughs> nationals, though, you were in the B session, right?
1: I was in the C session. C session. I've been in the C session for both because um, I put in really, really um, conservative totals, which I think is not necessarily what, Other people do, um, but I've always, always, always told to just put in the the best competition total that you have. Um, And so I just do that, um, and it's put me in the C session both times, which I don't really care. Like I don't. I mean, being in the A session eventually would be will be super cool. Like I would love that. Um, But also, it you know, being in the C or the B session kind of takes a lot of pressure off. it's kind of like a power move to take fifth place from the C session. That's <laughs> so, kind of cool. Are, are you going to the Arnold? I, I'm not going to compete. I might go and watch a friend if she, if she qualifies. I think she's trying to qualify like in the next week or two, she has a meet um, and I would, I, my family's in Cincinnati. So it would be really easy for me to kind of just go up there to support her. Cause I would just, I would love to see her lift at a national meet, but. And jess, are you no gonna, i don't plan on competing
0: you're not going to to the arnold right
1: no nope. no nationals is is our big like what we're working towards like 26 weeks out or something like
2: that We'll <laughs> see where i go mark i just started so we're just trying to train again
0: well jess what's your body weight at right now
2: 61
0: oh, okay that's not bad <laughs>
2: I'm so a 55, Laura. <laughs> I was
1: like, that's what I weigh. Then so she must be a 59.
2: <laughs> no. If you get a chance,
0: if you get a chance, go back and listen to the interview with Jess Action about the, the miraculous weight cut that goes on. Um, oh,
1: do you have to cut a lot?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, she'll cut from 61 down to 55.
1: Oh, man. I don't know yep. if I could do that. You <laughs> could if you had to. You know?
0: So do, I mean, do you walk around at, at 61 Laura?
1: about that? Yeah. I, I try to be between 61 and 62 um, when I'm not like anywhere close to competition. Cause I think my, my body's just happiest there. And I just feel like I get a lot stronger at that weight and I can maintain it um, pretty well. If I start my, my cut, like seven or eight weeks out from competition, it's like, I don't even notice the difference, honestly, like, I can tell my clothes fit different, but it's like, you know, like nutrition wise, I don't feel any different in the gym. So if I went up heavier, I think I would start to notice the difference in like strength if I was cutting a lot more, but I don't know. There there is a girl at my gym who um, I think trains not, not quite at 61, but probably around like 15, 58, 59. And she cuts down to 55 and still Mm -hmm. does super well. So, you know, it is possible. I mean, you do it too, (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, Jess is one of the top watchers in the country, and...
1: Yeah, yeah. It's possible, not ideal. (laughs) (laughs) I think Janice...
2: Oh, Janice, yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, she She was one of the ones we talked to that was like, and she and Jess were lamenting their weight cuts.
2: Yeah, she just recently started sitting closer to where I sit, and I'm like, (laughs) it's a fun ride! (laughs) Not really, but...
1: Do you like have a person for your nutrition to help need my own
2: nutrition now? Okay. Yeah, I'm a nutrition coach too. So, um, I had a coach for three or four years and then mm-hmm. in 2020, I started doing my own nutrition. So, yeah, I was yeah. thinking if
1: like, when they were like thinking about changing the weight classes and there was talk about being a 58 weight class and I was like, I might need to like actually hire someone to help me if i need to go lower because i don't really know what i'm doing at all but yeah yeah, yeah.
2: well if you ever need anything let me know
0: yeah, just like course, so really yeah. Good vision coach." yeah thanks mark okay.
1: <laughs>
0: what is your favorite mis- music to listen to while you're living
1: it changes like every month um but recently caesar has gotten me in like the whole gym on a suicide Boys kick (laughs) which he has like a playlist that he always puts on at the gym that i've just like started listening to everywhere that i lift like when even when i was back home in cincinnati for christmas i was i put that on yeah i mean it's it's really just whatever's on the gym though other than that because we have like a big stereo system and like it's hooked up to an ipad that sits on the wall and sometimes it's like 90s funk and sometimes it's like screamo weird metal music (laughs) and like either way I can I can live to it. We also like leading up to um finals they had um mute Mondays where there was no music at all and it was kind of like a a practice and focusing and not you know not having constant noise Um, because up on the stage up on the platform it's really hard to hear the music. Like honestly it's pretty quiet. Um so
0: yeah because the way the speakers are organized it's um Even if the music's on, you can't hear it. Everyone on the
1: live stream could hear it. They were asking if it was as loud on the platform as it was for them. And I was like, I couldn't, I don't even, I couldn't tell you what was playing.
2: I like to train in silence sometimes for that reason too.
1: Finish the sentence for me. Do you know
0: you're a weightlifter when blank?
2: When you hook grip
1: everything, (laughs) like including your groceries (laughs) and your... Steering wheel and your purse and your dog's leash. (laughs) The other one would be like when you can't do math in pounds, like I don't remember how to do barbell math in pounds at all anymore. I just do it in kilos. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, but I mean, in your world, like you probably work in the metric system all the time. Everything's in grams and kilos and everything, isn't it? So yeah,
1: that's actually very true. I kind of wish the US would just switch to to the metric system. (laughs) It's way easier. Everyone else.
0: Yeah, I've started. I've started doing a lot of baking, and um, what are you baking for me, Mark? You can't eat what I bake because you're. I can't right <laughs> now. <laughs> I, I, I bake. I bake a lot of bread, and then one of my one of my goals for the year is to become like a master pasta chef. Um, I make a lot of pasta, and I'm and I'm good at it, but I want to be really, really good at it. and so he's
2: good at it his pasta is good
0: yeah so I'm I'm working on I'm I'm improving it right but everything is measured out on a food scale and I'm like you know and I just I need the world to convert to grams so (laughs) it's really nice to stop dealing with like ounces of this and cups of that and I'm just like oh just switch to grams and call it a day
2: yeah
0: anyway sorry I'm, I'm, I'm wandering off topic we should do the lightning round do you
2: have your lightning? Okay. Yep. Laura, are you ready for the <laughs> lightning round? <laughs> yes, I'm ready. Okay. So, this is like an either or. You pick your favorite, first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay, ready? Peanut butter or jelly? Peanut butter. There is a right Snatch. answer. <laughs> Snatch or clean and jerk? <laughs> Snatch. Competition makeup or no makeup? Makeup. Instagram or TikTok? Instagram. Seltzer water or regular water? Seltzer water. Shorts or leggings? Leggings. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate. Wrist straps or knee sleeves? Both. Um, uh, Knee sleeves. (laughs) Aliko or rogue? Aliko. Back squats or front squats? back squats. oh i skipped one nike or adidas adidas chips or cookies cookies all right there's one wrong which one, you Wait, like? which one which one did i get wrong the
1: dark the, the chocolate oh that's my yes. mom's fault. She only eats dark chocolate. So it's like a nostalgic <laughs> taste for
0: me. All right. Well,
1: your better.
2: mom's wrong then.
0: <laughs> Jess asserts that dark chocolate is better than dark chocolate. And I mean, <laughs> while she's probably right, that's not a <laughs> wrong answer.
2: Jelly <laughs> oh is a wrong answer.
0: I mean, it is right. just wrong. <laughs> peanut butter is so clearly the correct answer that it's, <laughs> it's barely even worth asking.
1: Yeah, you can't eat jelly by the spoonful, but you can eat, you can <laughs> eat peanut butter. You
0: know, so I was this with somebody the other day, right? I'm like, oh yeah, you just go get, you know, a spoonful of peanut butter and, and eat it. And they're like, you don't eat it on something? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's not wrong to just eat a spoonful of peanut butter, but apparently some people think that's really odd.
2: Huh. Well, maybe we think they're odd.
0: They are probably odd. All right, so... Um, what is the hardest thing about
2: weightlifting
1: for you? Um, on like a day-to-day, it's the hardest thing would be like, if you have a bad training session, like not letting that be the end of the world. Like, or if you just are struggling with one lift during your training session, not letting it carry over to the next day. Or like, you know, like I let myself be upset about it for a little bit, but like trying to just, let it go after that and approach the next training session without thinking about how the last time I did this it didn't go well and trying to like just make the correction and understand that not every day is going to be like a PR and you're not going to be always be able to beat the weight that you hit last week um but then like on a more global like life scale it's probably the sacrifices that you have to make to like really get where you want to go like um like people just don't always understand that training is such a priority for me and that it's not personal when I say I don't want to hang out with them or I don't want to spend time with them Well, not that I don't want to but I just can't because I need to go train um and just kind of understanding that they don't have the same priorities as me and letting it go and having to maybe deal with the fact that you become separate or like less close because of it um because you know like I have goals of making potentially making like an international team and like I can't always go out and drink you know when I'm four weeks out from a competition and like unfortunately it's just people just don't always get it so
0: I, I actually meant to ask you this earlier and I forgot what I mean like what are the what are the goals where do you see yourself in five years and for that matter how old are you
1: I'm 29. Okay, So you're 29. Um, yeah.
0: <clears throat> so, I mean, where do you see it? I mean, you've got, uh, obviously, a few more years of kind of peak. Mm-hmm. I mean, where do you, where, what is the goal? Where do you want to be?
1: I definitely want, like, those numbers that you mentioned before. 90, 110 would be awesome. Um, 90 plus for snatch would be great because I think I'm, like, just generally better at snatch and I like it more. Um, but, uh, like, I – I want to see my name on that list, you know, at the very least. But I also would just like making a Pan Am team or an international team would be like my dream come true. And it's I've just in the last like month like been able to speak that into existence because before I've just been afraid to even say it. Um and when I started with with Chris it was kind of one of the things that we talked about was like, what are your goals? And I I had to say it out loud. <laughs> and like now it's like it's really there in my head and I I like can't stop thinking about it so that's what I that's where I want to be I want that USA singlet.
0: <laughs> nice yeah I mean when, when I was yeah. you know thinking about kind of who I wanted to interview and then I saw your 180 total at the American Open I'm like alright gotta get more on, on the podcast <laughs> this would be like regardless of whether we were doing the PhD you know group or not I was like you're going to be sitting in that A session and to put you know 14 kilos on, a, on your total over the course of Nine months is is just pretty spectacular, and you're obviously you're not going to continue on that trajectory forever. Um, <laughs> I wish, yeah, right? Don't we all? <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, it's kind of the question of how much more time can you can you spend on that upward trajectory, and can you get to the 200 kilo total before you plateau off? Um, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, it's like it's always something that I think about. Like it's. I look at people like, like Christy Brewer, who is like, like 40, I think, right. And she's got two kids and she's still absolutely killing it. Like she's always in the A session. She's always in the running to make a team. And like, you know, and like, I feel like if she can still be making progress, like I have no reason to worry about that. So I'm just going to like, you know, trust the process, trust my coaches and like, put everything i have into getting where i want to go
0: and keep in mind christy didn't start lifting until she was 35
1: right yeah I saw, she her posts impressed me so much when she's like post those like throwback posts of like the first time she attempted 100 kilos and it was like two weeks into starting weightlifting and i'm like god you're so impressive
0: but, yeah she she co-hosted with me the the first season um with the yeah. pit- and so yeah I got to know Christy pretty well and I just love her she's just great but yeah she's a rock star Uh, she
1: showed up at SoCal a few like a couple weeks out of AO Finals I didn't know she was going to be there and I'm still at the point where like when I see someone that I've like followed on Instagram forever and look up to I like like I fangirl a little bit (laughs) so like it's not normal for me to like see them in person so I was like oh my god I can't screw up in front of Christy (laughs) (laughs) So, like, I saw her at the Nationals training hall, and I was, and I saw, like, Kelly Wilde there, and I was like, oh, my God, like, I've only ever seen these people, like, on YouTube and on Instagram, and so it was crazy, like, seeing them in real life and having gotten myself to that point. The thing is, like,
0: and Christy and Kelly are both perfect examples of this. They're super cool human beings. Yeah. (laughs) Nicest people, you know? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we interviewed Kelly, obviously, um, in season one, and, and just, again, I mean, just super cool human being, and you know she's a DPT, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just wildly impressive, you know, in terms of her ability and her you know talent. So, last question for you, Laura: um, What would you tell beginner lifter you?
1: Um, I would tell myself not to get so frustrated when, like a lift doesn't pan out the way I want it to the first time and to not let that reflect on what I think of myself as a person Um, and to just like, stick with it, trust the process, keep going. Um, Because it's really like, it's a long game for sure. Like the, you know, if you can stay in and stay relatively injury free, like you'll get there. (laughs) You know, it's not like, it's not a race to, to the finish line. Um, and it's, it's never going to stop being a learning process. Like you're never going to feel like you know what you're doing really like, you might a little, you know, in you know, a few years but at the same time you might have a training session the next day that'll make you feel like you just don't even like you don't know how to weightlift anymore and that's to- totally normal and everybody, even the elite weightlifters have those days and it's fine. And I just, still
2: like, have no idea what I'm doing Laura.
0: So, <laughs> no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dr. Caggiano, thank you very much for joining us today. And um, we will, um, well, I guess we'll probably see you at the Arnold, even if you're not competing, but we'll look forward to seeing you compete at
2: yeah, yeah. The Nationals
0: in um, in July and in Las Vegas. Be a lot of fun. <laughs> right.
2: Vegas. Nice to so, meet you, Laura.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you.